do hope you'll pray for us this morning while we stand before you and that uh, God's name might be uh, glorified uh, in the preaching of his, of his word, Lord, as we try to do that here this morning. So be in prayer uh, for us and for each other and that uh, God's name might be lifted up and that we might be uh, edified in that. Uh, as you know, over the last, uh, really since the first of the year, uh, I've been talking about a couple of different subjects. Uh, one, about the sovereignty of God. Uh, the Bible tells us over in Daniel chapter 4 that God works His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand. Uh, that, uh, that we were chosen in Christ according to His own purpose and grace. Uh, and so God has a will. God works His will. Uh, and as we've discussed over time, I think part, part of what... You know, and, and me trying to think about some things this morning, and I'm going to move on from those two subjects that I've been working on uh, the most part of this year and try to, to try to press on to another portion. But I want to kind of review a little bit this morning and let us think about uh, what is ultimately the purpose of going over these things. Uh, ultimately, as we think about what we're trying to accomplish uh, in, in, in the preaching of God's Word is for God's name to be glorified and exalted and for us to see how great of a God that we, that we worship and that we are here to worship Him uh, and that it's not about me and you. Uh, it's not about what we've done, uh, what we've confessed, what we've believed. It's all about God and His majesty, God's greatness. And so when we, when we took on a subject this year, earlier this year, to talk about God is sovereign. <laughs> God, is a God, God is the God who works His will in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay His hand. And it means that God answers to no one. If there was someone that was greater than God or someone that could restrict God or control God or move God, uh, then God would be there, would not be superior to all. The Bible tells us that he has power over all flesh. Uh, it also says as he was getting, addressing his apostles uh, just before he left this world, it says he has all power both in heaven and in earth. So we're talking about someone that has all power in heaven and earth over all flesh and that works his will among the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and nobody can stay his hand or keep him from doing what he desires to see done. And that's important for us to know and to understand. And we carried that over the subject of sovereignty. We carried that over into talking about election. Uh, and as we talked about election, uh, the, uh, I think the purpose of that, whether I ever got to the point of saying this is, is that uh, God has chosen a people, uh, that he chose a people, the Bible says, in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Uh, he tells us that this was done uh, in uh, in Romans chapter nine, where he talks about uh, Jacob and Esau, he was he said that this was done so that God's purpose, according to election, might stand. Today, people don't talk about election; uh, they talk about elections. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, in a carnal sense of the the things, the elections that we have in this country, but we don't talk about the electing grace of God and how God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world as stated in Ephesians chapter 1 and that uh, he did this uh, before the foundation of the world so that God's purpose in election might stand. In other words, his purpose in that was so that man couldn't take the glory. Uh, I'll, I'll just re-verify that by turning to a portion of scripture uh, I think in 2 Timothy this morning uh, real quick to uh, to set, the, set this context here where he says, Wherefore he, in verse 6, he says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, talking, Paul talking to Timothy, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ 
before the world began. So again, he establishes this thing that God's calling and purpose was to, uh, to choose a people in Christ. It was done before the world began, and it wasn't done according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Well, uh, we've explored this, I guess, at least some, and I think it's very interesting on Wednesday nights that we've been going through the book of Genesis because I think Genesis sets uh, in, uh, not only teaches us, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, about Genesis is history. <laughs> It's not some story that's been made up somewhere. It's actually the history of the beginning of of time and of God creating the world, God creating man. Uh, but I also see there are a lot of metaphors and symbols in there of things that only God, <laughs> you know, the more you think about things like this, you realize only God could lay out the story of the creation of the world and at the same time be teaching other little lessons over here that are so vital and so important for us to understand God. But you got to go back and look at them, right? So, uh, so God created, as we've talked about there in the uh, third chapter, well, first first and second chapter it says he created all he created the light he separated the light from darkness and then he creates the the planets and all those things he creates the world uh he lets he brings vegetation in and all this stuff that and animals and all this and then he brings and then he creates man and then he brings all the animals before the man and man names all the animals and god notices or not like he'd overlooked this fact, but the Bible kind of lays it out that he noticed that there was no one for the man, that man was alone. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So he put the man to sleep and then he took a rib from his side and from his side made he woman and brought her to the man because it wasn't good for man to be alone. And I think in this, we see a great type and shadow of the teaching of the fact Part of, the, part of the purpose of God creating all this to start with was because God wanted to have a bride for his son. And we were in Christ Jesus before the world began, chosen in Christ. And God brought, uh, brings us forth from Christ and presents a bride that's glorious and beautiful for his son. So you begin to see all these metaphors and all this purpose of God being taught that he chose one for his son. And that uh, because of that, God, the world was created. So uh, as we look at all that, uh, then we begin to look at some of the things that occurred there in the beginning. Because in the very beginning, uh, Adam transgressed the law of God. And because God, he transgressed the law of God, and that law of God was he created, a, he created a garden, put Adam and Eve in the garden, told them to tend the garden. And one of the, the only real rule that he gave him there was, he says, there's a tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of all the trees of the garden, but that tree. <laughs> don't, don't eat of that tree. For the day that thou eatest thereof, and now there's a, there's a covenant being created here between, him, uh, between God and man. He says, don't eat of the tree, and the, but the day that thou eatest of the tree, thou shalt surely die. And so uh, there's, there's a lot in all of that. Uh, but we know that, uh, that the day that, that Adam and Eve ate of that, uh, ate of that fruit, they died to the fellowship that they had had with God prior to that time, and they began to try to hide themselves. They created little clothes made out of fig leaves, which were not appropriate. Uh, uh, you, can, you can imagine, uh, uh, you want to do this sometime, find a fig tree, find any kind of tree, cut, a, cut, the, cut the leaf off, lay it down on the ground, and the sun will make that dude shrivel up, okay? So it's not going to cover much for long, right? And so they tried to make them some clothes out of fig leaves, but it didn't work. So God came along and taught them the principle of the fact that there had to be a sacrifice made in order to cover their sin. And God took, uh, slew the animals and took the skins thereof and made them clothes to cover themselves there uh, and then thrust them out of the garden uh, lest they eat of the tree of life. And live forever in that sinful condition that they had now placed themselves in. And the Bible teaches us uh, that now they had sinned. Now they were going to die. They had died first to the fellowship. But the dying process began in them. 
uh, and they began to uh, a, a, a descent toward death. Uh, and just like me and you, as we live today, uh, you and I die. Uh, why? Because we're sinners. And because we're descendants of Adam who sinned, and because of that, you and I are going to die too. Uh, and if we're going to uh, be free of this sentence of death, because there, there's not only a sentence of death naturally, uh, but in that there's also a sense of death eternally, separation from God uh, that took place. So that uh, when the Bible says the day that you eat of that fruit, thou shalt surely die, there's more deaths under consideration than just physically dying because there was a separation from God took place. They were moved out of the garden and there was no way for them to get back to that place in the garden or for that get back to that place of fellowship with God without God intervening himself. God knew all of this. This is not some surprise that was thrust upon God. Uh, but I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you the great, uh, the great adversary, Satan, uh, was, was at work uh, constantly trying to think, if you will. Uh, I think he must have known some things, but of course not being God, God didn't reveal to him everything. Uh, I think he knew that God had a purpose, that he was going to create a bride for his son. And he decided he wanted to be exalted to be like God. Uh, so in his pride and in his beauty, uh, uh, he exalted himself and he began to rebel against the things of God. And in that, he try, tried to destroy the very first two creatures because he knew from that was going to come the bride of Christ. And he thought he could defeat that from the very beginning. But I'm telling you, he didn't surprise God one bit. God knew exactly what was going on. He had chosen the people in Christ before the foundation of the world and had everything laid out to redeem them, to purchase them, and to make sure his son had a bride one day, long before uh, Satan ever hatched his little plan to try to rebel, okay? Uh, so uh, the, the purpose, I guess, this morning we're talking about... Uh, one, God is sovereign. We've talked about the fact that God is sovereign. In other words, he answers to no one. He works his will. Uh, in that, uh, an outflow of that we find is God's electing love. And this election, which is, uh, you know, from a, from a teaching standpoint down through the, of the churches through the years, uh, one of the things it's said about it is it's an unconditional election. Well, you know, it depends on how you look at unconditional, I guess. But uh, I'll just say this. His election of, of God, of his bride and of his people that he chose in Christ was unconditional on their part. It wasn't by their works, but it was conditional upon the death of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the shedding of his blood. And so, and when we say, when we use little phrases like say, well, it was unconditional election, you know, the part of the great tulip doctrine, you know, the great you, unconditional election. Well, we need to make sure that it might have been unconditional to you and me. But it was very much conditioned upon a perfect Savior, the perfect Lamb of God, and the perfect blood of Jesus Christ uh, redeeming us and purchasing us and buying us in, in that. Uh, so, the, so the question kind of comes about in my mind as I'm thinking through uh, going back to basic doctrinal teaches. That's what I said I was going to do at the first of the year. Then why was it necessary for us to be purchased, why was it necessary for us to be bought with that price of the blood? Why wasn't there something that you and I could do? Okay, uh, well, the, 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 the short answer, of course, would be there was nothing you and I could do. Uh, God's, uh, uh, God's law required the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's what God's word tells us. And so, but why wasn't there something? Why, what kind of place, what kind of condition were we in? Well, I'm going to tell you we were in a place of, of depravity uh, since that we were not able of ourselves to get back to that place of being in fellowship uh, with God. And so, Let's take the scripture now and begin to look at some of these things that are laid out uh, in God's Word. Let's turn over, if we can, to Romans chapter 5. Uh, we'll begin with a place in the scripture there. Uh, <clears throat> we, could, we could go and maybe we should look at one other little place going to uh, uh, Romans chapter 3. Uh, begin to take some look at some things there because Romans chapter 3 tells us our condition 
uh, uh, not being born again, not being, uh, <clears throat> not having an, another nature, just having the nature of a man. So I'm trying to maybe finger in my mind where we start at, and I've done skipped around two or three different places. So since you've got your hand in all those places in the scripture, uh, let's turn to one more, and let's turn to First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter two. We'll start there. <clears throat> So y'all pray for me as I get my juggled minds trying to strangle around some of these things here this morning. So what, what kind of condition were you and I in? Uh, let's, let's read just a little bit here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, says this. Uh, and I'm going to read that. I'm probably going to read through this whole chapter uh, so that I don't lay it out of context some way or another. I want you to understand the context of what he's leading up to. I've done that over the years uh, very guilty. Okay, my confession before you this morning, reach in and grab a portion of Scripture uh, without laying out some things to you. But I want to try to read that to you here this morning. The Apostle Paul writing the church at Corinth, uh, and there, there were problems at Corinth. I don't have to go into, maybe go into all those things, but he's writing this letter to address those issues. And, he, and he's now in the uh, beginning of chapter 2 talking about the fact that, hey, uh, I came to you when I was talking to you people at Corinth, I came to you in a certain manner, and he says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the, the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Boy, I'm telling you, if there's a lesson there uh, for, for the minister of today, uh, it would be the same thing the Apostle Paul tried to witness to these people at Corinth. He says, when I came to you, he said, it wasn't because I was some great speaker. It wasn't because I was some great orator. In fact, my speech was weak. I was scared. I think that basically what you see is I was scared when I came to you. But he said, you turned from the things of your idols and you turned to worship God because of the power and demonstration of God, not because of some greatness of, of, of Paul in front of you. And he says, For your face should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak of wisdom among them that are, are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world, Unto our glory. So now he kind of hints at this thing of election, how that uh, uh, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, uh, but none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had realized what was going on, that Christ was redeeming his bride and purchasing them through his death and through the shedding of his blood, he said, the princes of this world would have never done that. They would have not done the, what... Uh, what was really what, you know, have you ever seen uh, seen some of these movies, you know, where somebody kind of lay a trap out, you know, and people just fall right into the trap? I tell you, God set the trap, you know. He laid out his son, and those people just rushed right to it because that's what they wanted to do, okay? They wanted to put him to death. Uh, and he says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I'll tell you this morning, our, our minds, uh, you know, sometimes you probably like me, I guess, maybe on occasion, you know, you read these, you read these stories about people that have had these near death experiences or whatever, or you read some things from over in the book of Revelation, uh, where it talks about, uh, God and his glory, or maybe you read Isaiah chapter six, where it talks about Isaiah in his day, saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and smoke filled the temple. And there were these creatures flying about seraphims that were there crying. Holy, 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 uh, Lord God Almighty. And you, you, and in all of that, you try to get this picture in your mind. What's heaven going to be like? 
What's it going to be like to see the four and the twenty elders around the throne of God? To see uh, uh, God sitting on his throne about Jesus Christ being there and us worshiping him and, and the angels singing and all the great host of heaven and all uh, our, our loved ones that have gone on before uh, being gathered together with him there in that place. Does your mind ever think about things like that? I hope it does. I hope somehow or another uh, your mind is drawn to think, what's it going to be like? Well, the Apostle Paul says, uh, as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You and I in our best abilities to comprehend and think about cannot imagine just how great it's going to be, okay? But God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Even uh, the things that you have somewhat imagined in your mind what it might be like, it's because the Spirit of God has caused this in your in your hearts to be able to understand and to see some things beyond the veil, to see beyond the on the other side. It's the Spirit of God. So he says, But God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man... Save the spirit of man which is in him. Uh, and I'm going to stop because he one, he's got a question mark there if you're reading along with me. So he says, what, thi- what, things, uh, what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? If you didn't have natural life, how would you understand natural things? How to feel, to touch, to smell, to hear, uh, uh, to walk, uh, to climb mountains, whatever you know your 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 fancy is in this whole life. What things of man would you know unless you had the spirit of a man within you? And without God having uh, this natural man being in with us, how would we understand pain? How would we understand anger? How would we understand the things of man? How would we stay, understand the death and all those things? If, if we didn't have natural life, how would you understand that? And the answer is you wouldn't, <laughs> okay? But he says, what, th- what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him? Now, get, follow this in context because he's already said, I have not seen nor ear heard, or neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. Uh, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, or in like manner, no. Uh, <coughs> Make sure I'm reading the right place. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So we can't understand godly things without the Spirit of God. You can't understand what heaven's going to be like. You can't understand uh, the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and that it was needed uh, without the Spirit of God revealing this to you. Just like you can't understand physical pain, uh, physical hurt, uh, physical things of this life, uh, labor, hardness, uh, childbirth, all those. You can't understand those things without the nature of a man being within you. Uh, he says you cannot understand spiritual things without the Spirit of God being in you. So he says, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. So why did God give us the Spirit? He gave us the Spirit so that we might understand what God has given us. That God has given us life, eternal life. That God has given us a, a life beyond this life. That there, heaven is our home. God's given that for a reason and for us to praise Him while we're here. So he says, Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Me and you by our nature, our Adam nature, by the nature of the man that we're born with from our parents, this natural man does not understand the things of God by itself. 
and, and the Bible says it cannot. Okay, so let's keep reading. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So without the Spirit of God, you can't understand the things of God. Uh, and he says, but he that is spiritual judges all things, uh, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God. Uh, he doesn't understand the things of God. He just understands natural things. He understands life and death and health and uh, Oh, uh, the, the, the anger of this life and so forth. But he doesn't understand what to do about it. He doesn't understand how to overcome it. Without the Spirit of God being in him, the natural man doesn't know how to overcome. He thinks it's all just, that's the way it is, okay? So let's go over and let's look at another portion of Scripture. I said we were going to Romans uh, uh, chapter 3, but I'm going to go now to John chapter 3 real quickly because I'm trying to point a picture to you that absent of being born of the Spirit of God... The natural man doesn't know the things of God. And let's turn over to John chapter 3. We find a man by the name of Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews. He was a man of the law. He was a man of the Jewish law, uh, a ruler of the Jews. And it says the same came to Jesus by night, John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, I have contended and will continue to contend uh, that there was something about Nicodemus. I'm going to tell you it's the fact that the Spirit of God was in Nicodemus because Nicodemus could see that Jesus was a man come from God. He says, we know that thou art a teacher, that thou art a man come from God, because no man can do the things that thou doest except God be with him. So Nicodemus could, you know, I kind of get this, I kind of get this picture in my mind, I hope you do too, that Nicodemus is coming to him. He doesn't understand Jesus. He doesn't understand the, uh, uh, the quandary. He doesn't understand the contradiction uh, of who Jesus is. But he does understand enough inside himself, the the word of God living in him. He understands that this man is a man come from God because he knows that no man can do the things that he do. Now, I'm going to let me contrast that for you for a minute. The, if we turn over to Matthew chapter ten, we find Jesus doing miracles, right? And there were a group of men that came to him uh, and, and accused him of casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub, right? Now, these are, these are Jewish men also. <laughs> yet, uh, the, yet they accused Jesus of casting devils out by the power of the devil. And Jesus has to tell them that no kingdom divided against itself stands. Uh, that if I was casting out devils by the power of the devil, I would be contradicting myself and working against myself. So you've got one group of folks come to him and says, oh, he's doing this by the power of the devil. Then you've got Nicodemus who comes to him and says, I know that thou art a man come from God because no man can do the things thou doest except God be with him. Okay, do you see, you see the difference between these two groups of people that are coming to him? So here's Nicodemus coming and says, No man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he is not pleading for Nicodemus to be born again. He's pointing out to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the reason you can see that I'm a man come from God is because you have been born again. Because no man can see the kingdom except God be, God be with him. So uh, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again? So Nicodemus is again, Jesus is teaching him, here's how you know what you know. And Nicodemus is saying, I don't get it. Well, how many of us have seen the things of God in our lives, yet many times we have to confess, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I don't understand how God has worked in my life. I don't understand how God has blessed me. I don't understand how I can see some of the things, yet I know it's true. <laughs> so, well, he, here's, here's Nicodemus's quandary, right? So he's coming to him at night. He says, 
wow. And we could go into, you know, my, you, we can all speculate why I came to him by night. I have done that in the past. Probably will do that again in the future. Not today. <laughs> Just, he came to him by night. He was trying to slip in there and he says, I know you're a man come from God. No man can do the miracles thou doest. And Jesus looks at him and says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus then goes on. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into a second time to his mother's womb? And, and I want you to put this, I, I want to get to, uh, I don't want to lose you here on my, on my thinking, I guess, as I look through this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man. The natural man doesn't receive the things of God. He cannot understand the things of God. Why? Because it's spiritually discerned. Yet here's a man who sees the things of God and he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see this. The reason Nicodemus could see it was because the new birth had already come and he wasn't just seen with natural eyes, he was seen with spiritual eyes. Now Jesus goes on (coughs) and tells us how this spiritual birth takes place. He goes on and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, uh, this little expression, born of water and of the Spirit, was, I think, especially laid out to this Jewish man, this ruler of the law. He wasn't saying, Nicodemus, you've got to be uh, baptized. (laughs) He (laughs) He was pointing out to him that the water in the Word of God is often Often uh, referenced as a, a a type of the Spirit of God. Uh, when the when uh, Jesus in chapter four meets the woman at the well, uh, and uh, and he says, if uh, if you knew who was talking to you. He said, I would have given you a drink, uh, given you a drink of water uh, that would have been like going into eternal life, you know. And he said, she says. How are you going to give me a drink of water? You, you don't have any kind of bucket. You don't have any kind of... Who, how are you going to draw water from the well of Jacob, seeing you have nothing to draw with? He said, I would have given you water springing up out of you like a fountain into eternal life. And she, did, she didn't understand it, okay? She didn't understand what he was talking about. But he was talking about, I would have given you the Spirit of God in an overflowing way if you had just asked, asked me. If you would realized who it was you were talking to, I would have given you a well of water springing up within you uh, that would have been a blessing in your life. And I'll tell you, God still gives us a blessing of a well of water springing up in our lives that nourishes us and and sustains us. We're living in a dry, dry world, aren't we? (laughs) We're living living in a world that doesn't, doesn't do anything to nourish our spiritual man. But I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ can give you a well of water springing up within you to eternal life, my friends, that will will. Give you a, a thirst in a, di- a dry desert land. It'll give you, it'll quench your thirst, my friends, at a time when the whole world is beating down upon you, when all the troubles of life are coming your way. Yet God can forgive that, can quench that thirst of your spirit and help you to see that there's something greater than this old world. And and when you do see that, it's not because you're wanting to be a child of God. It's because you are one, and because God has blessed you with the new birth just like he did Nicodemus okay so he says except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God that which is born of flesh is flesh (laughs) you know how much clearer could some of these things be he says when when you're born into this old world it doesn't mean you have spiritual life it also doesn't mean you don't have spiritual life. I could, I could go down that trail, okay? Uh, but he says, that which is born of flesh produces flesh. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. God's Spirit comes and works on you directly to give you spiritual life. I mean, the pictures here to me, you know, and, and after the after all these years, you know, the age I've gotten to, you think, well, surely, you know, he's a minister of God. He's surely it's gotten clear to him. Well, I'm just telling you, over time it gets clear. It just gets clearer and clearer and clearer that that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. It takes the work of the spirit to give you spiritual life. Now he goes on and tells you. How the Spirit works. Marvel not that I said unto you, said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. 
So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. The, the Spirit, my friends, comes and moves and gives spiritual life. And it's just like the wind. It just comes and it goes and you don't know where it came from or where it's going to. But God that sends it knows where it's going. And that's really all that matters, isn't it? Uh, so so the, the, the natural man, uh, as we've talked about over here a minute ago, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Uh, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But we can look over here and then look and see, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we've got these conditions laid out that the natural man doesn't receive it, and it takes the new birth in order to, uh, in order to see it. Uh, and <clears throat> the spirit, uh, the, the being born again is like the wind moving, okay? So our condition is, is we're in a condition of depravity where we are dependent upon the Spirit of God coming and working in our lives in order to overcome this old natural man that we have. Now here, if we turn back to Romans chapter 3 now, uh, finally, uh, we'll find over here in Romans chapter 3 what, what kind of condition you and I are in by our nature. Uh, when we think about what happened to us, uh, and in Romans 5 and Romans 3, uh, we kind of sort of work together in this, in this sense. Uh, I guess referencing back to my, my point of, of uh, what happened to us in the garden when they ate the, they ate the fruit of the uh, tree uh, and death came upon man. Uh, again, I, you know, I'm like hopping back and forth, but okay. Uh, in, uh, in Romans chapter 5, it says, Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The principle being taught here in Romans 5, and we'll come back to Romans 5 here in just a minute, is the fact that you and I became sinners because the very first man and the very first woman became sinners. And as they sinned, sin was in them. And then I, I've gone back, I've used this several different times, but I, I, the, the Bible tells us there, again, Genesis. <laughs> Genesis is so important. Uh, Genesis tells us that everything brings forth after his own kind. Uh, that's the reason, as we've said here on other occasions, that's the reason dogs have dogs. Uh, that's the reason cats have cats. Uh, that's the reason elephants have elephants and giraffes have giraffes. And the reason people have people as their offspring is because everything brings forth after its own kind. And evolution, which is taught in our schools uh, as being a scientific fact, uh, would have you believe that if you just have enough time, anything can happen. <laughs> well... Uh, the only problem is we don't have that much time and God's word says not anything can happen anyway and God is the one that sets the bounds, okay? Uh, and he says everything brings forth after his own kind. Well, once man became a sinner, not only did he have, was his offspring other people, but his people were sinners too. And so he, he teaches us this here in Romans chapter 5. And he says... Uh, <clears throat> I'm looking at Romans 3 again, but he says, uh, <clears throat> Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So uh, you and I, the reason you and I die today is because we're sinners. Uh, and, uh, and the only way we will overcome this old body of death is to have our body changed. And to have our life changed and to be born again, uh, which is a work, a sovereign work. There's that word. Uh, maybe the reason we taught sovereignty uh, is the fact that it's uh, being born again is a sovereign work of God uh, that He bestows upon us by His power and by His blessings. So uh, sin comes upon us because of the the sin of one man, uh, and we just we inherit that nature. Uh, the Bible says David came forth from his womb as, as a liar. 
David David was conceived in iniquity. It doesn't mean the act of conception is sinful. It just means that the two people that came together were sinners. He was conceived in sin. He became uh, a sinner as he was born. And, uh, and, And the Bible tells us that we come forth from the womb uttering lies. Uh, you know, little babies. I love our little babies, uh, uh, but you know, they'll try to deceive you. <laughs> they'll, uh, and, and it takes mamas and daddies that understand the cries of their children to understand what cry is what. Uh, some cry is, I want food. <laughs> some cry is, uh, I, want, I need uh, to be cleaned up and changed. One cry, another cry is, I'm tired. Another cry is, I just want to be helped. And I'll tell you, some all of them, when they can't speak, all of them begin to cha- uh, change around. Sometimes they'll cry and it'll sound like they're tired. But you know what? You find out they're not tired, they're hungry. Uh, now, is that the fact we don't understand? Or is it the fact that sometimes they kind of come out kind of deceiving us sometimes about what they want? They'll cry for food. What they want is milk. Uh, you know, all of these things begin to take place. You and I are deceptive, even at our youngest I love my little grandchildren, uh, but but they're not even at their young age. You know, nobody had to teach them how to tell a story. Nobody had to teach them that. They just kind of fall into it by nature, right? Uh, they, they'll tell you that. Uh, uh, they say, "Who did that? Wasn't me. What must have must have been that one? Must have been that one? Must have been somebody? I don't know." I don't know how that happened. You know, none of us had to teach them that. They just kind of got that on their own. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? We're sinners by our nature, friends. Why? Because our great-great-grandfather, on, 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 uh, was a sinner, and you and I are too. And here's what it says in, in Romans chapter 3. And again, I've set the context of Romans so many times, I'll, I'll do it maybe one more time here, but he tells us... Uh, He's trying to teach the Jews and the Gentiles at the church at Rome that God has a children among both the Jews and the Gentiles and that all of us, while the Jews were blessed because they had the laws and the precepts of God, it was a special blessing to them, the Gentiles were blessed because God worked in their hearts and they obeyed the law that was written in their heart without having the natural laws written down in the Word of God given to them all these years. And so he begins to go on and says here, uh, verse 10, uh, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. By our natural man's nature, this is our condition. There's none righteous. There's none, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. It takes the Spirit of God coming and intervening in our lives first before you then have a desire to seek after God. The natural man doesn't understand the things of God. He thinks it's foolishness to him. He doesn't care about it. Uh, but we've seen that uh, being born again helps you see the kingdom of God just like Nicodemus. Even if you don't understand to totality, what it is that's happening to you, you see that there's something special taking place because of God's work in your life. Okay, so he says, as it is written, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one. You know, don't, I hope we understand the Word of God. Uh, I, I'm, I'm painting a picture here, or the Word of God is painting a picture here of the natural man with absent of the Spirit of God. To say there is none righteous, uh, we're not standing here saying that Christ hasn't made people righteous because He has. By His shed blood, by His, by his purchase, by His redemption, you've been made righteous and a part of the family of God. But in our natural man, this is our condition, okay? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Do you see? Again, we talked about why are we talking about these things? It's to glorify God and to praise God. Do you realize how despicable you and I were? Do you realize just how great of depraved nature you and I had? If you don't see what you were, if we don't fully see and understand what we were by our nature, 
We will never appreciate the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and what he accomplished and what the new birth has accomplished in your and by in your life. We will never fully gratif- be gratified and appreciate what God has done for us. I, I, I just, until you see what, what you really were. <laughs> he says, they are all gone out of the way. They are together and become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. What, are you, what is it you desire? Well, a sepulcher is a grave. Your, your throat is an open graveyard. Your, your throat is an open tomb. Your, your, everything that goes in is, is bad. And so he says, uh, there's no, they're all gone out of the way. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues they have used, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp, which is a snake, the poison of asp is, in their, is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Do you see how bad man is without the Spirit of God? I'm telling you, sometimes we don't understand and appreciate. I I think we'd almost have to go back to, again, to the book of Genesis. And we'd have to read over there how things were before the flood. When, When men's minds were on evil continually. That was the state and condition of the of the world. Before, before the flood, okay? And here we read about man absent of the Spirit of God. There's none that doeth good. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues are, uh, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you see people like this sometimes today? I'm telling you, there are people that are no more afraid of God than they are anything. And you know why? Because the Spirit of God is not in them. Uh, they, they, they don't, they, their, their mouth is full of bitterness and cursings. Uh, we, we see this in our country. You know, I, I read almost every day, and I, I'll, you know, when I say every day because I don't go, the Birmingham News no longer comes every day. It comes three days a week. <laughs> but every time I pick up the paper or every time I happen to turn on Channel 3340 News uh, or whatever it is the local news channel is that you watch, every time I pick the paper up, I'm reading where some teenager... Some teenager has shot another teenager. Some person has shot another person in Birmingham. Uh, and I'm thinking, what, what, are, what are on these people's minds that at 16, 17, 15, whatever age they might be, they going and getting a gun and walking up to somebody and shoot, pointing at them and shooting them. What is on their minds? And I'm telling you, God is not on their minds at all. What is on people's minds over in the Middle East where they pull Christians together and say, uh, because you're a Christian, I want you to kneel down here and unless you deny your God, I'm going to cut your head off with a sword. Uh, men's minds are on, the, the shedding of blood is on their mind. There's uh, the ways of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Why did God give a law? Because without without the law, there's no knowledge of what uh, what is right and what's wrong, what's sin. You say, well, what about the laws written in their heart? God wrote the laws down so we could clearly see and understand what was right and wrong. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there's no flesh justified. Okay, we could go into all that. The, the Romans chapter 3 in this portion of, that I've read here gives a clear understanding of what me and you are like, absent of the Spirit of God. And you say, well, I've known some, you know, I've known some pretty uh, wicked people. <laughs> I think I've known some too. I've read of some in, in, uh, uh, in history books. I, we, I've told I've told you this. I've got to get wrapped up. Okay, I, I've told you this. The, when we made when we made our trip to Israel back uh, a few weeks ago, one of the things that the the guy that leads us from Birmingham insists on for every trip he ever takes and uh, to to Israel, there's going to be at least one time during that trip that you're going to go in Jerusalem to the Holocaust Museum uh, there in Israel. I found, having been to the one in Washington, D.C., and having been to the one in, in Jerusalem now, uh, the one in Jerusalem is not near as gruesome to me as far as the pictures of the 
uh, of what the Nazis did, what the German, Germans did during that time. I think in some ways it's, it's more hopeful because it's more point, and in some ways more sad because what it does is it has a lot of artifacts there of people that uh, that was found that belonged to the people that were killed and it has pictures of individuals and their families and the and the ghettos that me and Sister Marsha have talked and it talks about here was a doll that belonged to this young girl this young girl was taken by tra- you know and it gives all those kind of stories that are in there so it's it's more sad in that sense uh, of what took place uh, and, and it talks about how uh, and I've, I've told others one of the the last room you go into because you go through this long haul of going through the museum in and out of rooms across the hall the way they move you through there the very last room you go to is this big round room and I can't I I should have asked somebody while I was there how far across is this room because it's it's unbelievably huge okay and in this room, it's, it's like a library. There's books. It's a round room, by the way. There's books all the way around on shelves and around and around and around. And in those books are written the names of the six million people that were killed by the Germans in the Holocaust. And I'm telling you, the magnitude of how many books you're seeing is overwhelming. And to realize it takes that many books to write down six million names. And then you go to another part of this same museum and you find out one million of those six million were children. I'm telling you, you're talking about evil. No fear of God before their eyes. I'm telling you, that's evil. I'm telling you, sometimes there's people like that in the world today that stand up and call people together and they shoot people here in this country uh, and they, they, they uh, blow things up. They blow themselves up and they go, into, uh, they go into places and strap a bomb on. They don't know people. They're just going there to kill somebody. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's how we are as natural men. So, so for you and I, sometimes you think, Man, I've done some bad things. And we have. (laughs) We have done some bad things. But I'm telling you what, when you see the fact that today there's a concern in your heart, there's a concern in your life of what, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to do bad things. I don't want to mislead people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to cause trouble in people's lives. You know why that's there? Because God loved you. God placed His Spirit down within you. And because of that, you're not this kind of person anymore. Sin came in by one man. We are going to get to Romans 5. Didn't get there. Uh, Sin came in by one man. But I'll tell you what, life also came by one man, Jesus Christ, who came in here and died and shed His blood for you and me. Uh, I'll tell you, without... The work of Jesus Christ and the, and the Spirit being shed abroad in our hearts. Me and you have no way of getting there. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you, it's a sovereign work of God in our lives. Be thankful. Be happy. While I, while I, what I've described is kind of gruesome and rough. Be thankful that God has worked in your life. Be thankful that God has worked in your marriage. Be thankful that God has worked in your children. And be thankful to the fact that uh, so much so that you want to serve Him all the days of your life while you're here. And one of these days, we'll see Him as He is, I'll tell you. And we'll understand just how great He really is. May God bless you to think on these things as our prayer.